now, this is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Box to Box Stoppage Time. A brand new podcast spun off from our main show. Because, well, every week... We'd get to the end of the show and start talking about all the things we didn't discuss. So our plan here, guided by the soothing voice of our football professor and erstwhile Englishman, Derek Dyson, is to correct that anomaly and cover as many parts of the football landscape as we possibly can. Of course, most weeks, Michael Edgley and Willem van Denneren will complete the crew, but they're going to be doing a lot of travelling over the next few months, so they might not always be here, but they'll pop in as often as they can. But Derek, that's the plan. Let's see if we can do it justice, eh? Yeah. I never had my voice described as soothing before, Rob, so uh, maybe there's some hope for me yet, um, some easy listening radio s- stations in the future. Yeah, well, mate, it's soothing when you consider the uh, the, the raspy uh, Australian accents that the rest of us deliver. But before we get into it, I, I do think we uh, need to acknowledge um, that um, that the overlay of, of world news um, has affected world football just as much with the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Um, it led to the cancellation of, of football at the uh, at every level of the pyramid in the, in the UK. What's your reaction to that, Derek? Yeah, it's interesting that other sports chose to carry on, including the, the test matches at the Oval, but all of football, all the way through the pyramid, um, uh, as I was looking, Looking for games to review in stoppage time all had PPP next to them for postponed. And it's interesting because as we'll get into, it maybe wasn't uh, Queen Elizabeth II's favourite sport, but football chose to um, to respond to her in, in that way. I, I just feel like it's going to add congestion to what is already a pretty cluttered fixture list, not, notwithstanding a, a World Cup coming up at the uh, end of the year as well. I just want to say, did the Premier League or, or football more generally, including EFL, lose an opportunity to have some wonderful scenes at matches with uh, polite claps, moments of silence, um, little uh, video montages on screens? Do you, do you think, you know, with the world watching the Premier League, did they lose an opportunity to connect the Royal Family to the sport? Because uh, we know that, that the Royal Family loves football. You know, there was that fantastic image tweeted by FIFA of um, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth pre- presenting the 1966 World Cup trophy to England's captain, Bobby Moore. So um, I'm just wondering, did the Premier League, in your opinion, Rob, moves, lose an opportunity here? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, there were a few articles that um, you know were brave and respectful enough to uh, to ask that question, and um, I just felt that uh, that there was an opportunity for for um, for football in the UK to uh, to take the lead on on this. Um, I mean, as we know, the cricket and the uh, um, the racing did um, return ultimately, but uh, but football had to take a break. Yeah, well, anyone that watched the uh, ten minutes leading up to the start of the cricket will have seen an amazing spec school where the crowd hushed for about five to ten minutes, even before the minute silence. The players walked onto the oval turf, nearly in pin drop uh, silence, and then there were these wonderful renditions of uh, the South African national anthem and "God Save the King." Uh, for the first time at a major uh, sporting event. And uh, yeah, I think they probably did miss a trick. I think obviously there's 
we we all love our tradition in the UK, but maybe this was one that that maybe they should have looked at. I I was at an England friendly, um, the game after Lady Princess Diana died, and they played at Wembley, the old Wembley Stadium, uh, candle in the wind, uh, mm, Elton mm. John new version. It was the first time that had ever been played anywhere. There were people in the stands holding candles. It was a uh, extremely moving and it, i mean that was that was princess diana not not the queen so yeah maybe they did mm-hmm. miss a trick so um we all know that uh, that horse racing horse breeding anything to do with horses uh, was her majesty's uh, uh, most uh, passionate association with sport but as much as it galls me to say this um some of the homework i've done suggests that she might have been a gunner. Do, do you know much about that? Well, Arsenal are the only team that have been invited to Buckingham Palace by the Queen, and they came um, rightly they so, Derek. Yeah, uh, came for winning the came for winning the the Invincible season, I believe. Um, comic Arsenal legend uh, Emmanuel Abue offered to look after her corgis while uh, while while he was was there. Um, but I've got a few other theories on what team she might have supported too. But I can see Edge wants to dive in. No, no, I just want to ask you a very uh, personal question because you know there's only us talking amongst ourselves at the moment. No one's listening. But I know you're a proud carrier now of the blue passport with an emu and a kangaroo looking at each other but you also have uh, a passport from the old dart can i just ask you um your reflections on the queen and uh what she meant to your family and just what you were thinking when you heard the news and where were you and also um, have you had any sort of dialogue with your family can you just give us a bit of an insight into um uh, an Australian with such strong English heritage, you know, and uh, or, or heritage out of Great Britain, what's been happening in your life uh, since the news of Queen Elizabeth's passing found its way to you? I found out in bed, uh, reaching across to the mobile phone to see what the see what you know what was going on in the world, and you know, lots of posts there about the Queen dying. It was very. You know, very re- reminiscent of when Shane Warne died earlier earlier in the year. That same kind of you know, reaction to it in in a way um, because it just seemed like such a momentous moment. Um, Reflections for me really are that, I mean, like everyone that's spoken, um, she's been an ever-present in all of our lives. So even just um, seeing people singing God Save the King and Send Him Victorious was was a real mind teaser for someone that's been brought up singing the same version of the song for for nearly... 40 years i was in her presence once uh in at an event um at westminster abbey about 15 20 years ago now so can't say i had you know too close a contact with her but i was certainly there and my reflection really is that regardless of where you sit on uh republicanism or the role of a constitutional monarchy um you just have to admire her endurance uh in that job the fact that she was still you know signing off letters reading her order of business appointing a new prime minister before uh, she you know she was looking pretty unwell at that time so yeah i think she's had a great innings at at 96 um and and yes look she may she may not have had a uh, a love of the of of the game or oh, you, you mentioned 1966 of course yes she was there the only other time when she appeared in a stadium with england was the um well, not with England, but the 1996 Euros final. She was there for that as well. She didn't 
go to too many other games. The, the Royal Family, of course, have a history with the Football Association. I think the chair or the president is, is usually a, a royal. Um, Prince William supports Aston Villa um, and has made that known. So I don't know well, if there's some he, kind he, of He loves going to England, there. Probably, whether it's women or, yeah. or men, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he, 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 he certainly does. Um, I was trying to work out the closest ground is probably Chelsea from Buckingham Palace. Uh, she, could have walked, she could have walked to Chelsea. Um, Aberdeen for Balmoral, probably. Um, and uh, for Windsor, Reading, who are in fact are called the Royals. So there could be something there could be something in that. And I did go all the way back to the lineage of, of Saxe Coburg. No, I kicked in for a transfer fee at, at Reading. <laughs> yeah. But, well, they've got all sorts of problems there at the moment. They could have, they could have done with the Duchy of Cornwall or whatever it is chipping in. But yeah, going back to her German roots, uh, her closest team would be Frankfurt in Coburg. So and um, if you've been like me, elbowing any of your Republican mates as the proclamations were made in parliaments uh, right around Australia and, and also uh, you've been able to elbow some of your Republican mates as the 21 gun salute uh, talking about King Charles, the, you know, the King of Australia. Have you been uh, taking advantage of that opportunity, uh, Derek? No, it's a good point. I haven't. Uh, I should I should be just getting a nice uh, photo, photographic picture of King Charles. He, he does look like a, a, a trophy, like the FA Cup with the ears there. So maybe I can uh, send a few pictures around to you guys and remind you of who's in charge. Okay, well, Her Majesty, we we will miss her, and um, and we we welcome King Charles, and um, and whether we're a republic at some point down the track, we will find out in the fullness of time. But uh, right now, we're not. We're talking football. Okay, the manager, Mary Garand. We talked uh, in the main show to Liam Toomey about uh, the departure of Thomas Tuchel and, and what a stage managed affair that um, that uh, was. But uh, the uh, the the fact that Thomas is moved on and Graham Potter is taking his place, leaves a vacant spot on the on the merry-go-round. And there's been a lot of names thrown up, including a certain Ange Postacoglu. It made complete sense in the fact that I I think um, Brighton would be well, bri- well briefed on these kind of technical managers um, that they seem to favour, not just... You know, looking for the for the next big name. Um, so I was in. It made sense to me when I I read the headline, but I noticed that um, uh, that well, as soon as I raised this in our podcast group, that Rob was very quick to dive in and say, "No, he would never do that." It almost like I'd, you know, I'd, I'd created sacrilege by even mentioning that this could be a could be a possibility. Of course, Brendan Rodgers was at Celtic in joy, enjoying a fine time when he chose to uh, to join the Foxes at Leicester, albeit a slightly more elevated position than than Brighton at the moment. But I, I welcome input on, you know, the, maybe not Ange this time, but look, this is going to be a theme now, I think, for mm. for um, for for Ange now. He's going to be linked with all these big jobs, isn't he? Yeah, well, look, I th- the, the reason that, that I, I was quick to, to leap in was that uh, that – You've got to know Ange. I mean, Edge, if any of us knows Ange better, I mean, I, I went to many, many press conferences with him and uh, and have seen the, the, you know, the, the fractious nature of the man himself. But if there's one thing he is, he, he hates disloyalty and he loves loyalty. And, and I just couldn't imagine that after the journey that he's been on to get to Celtic, a club that um, – that, that prides itself on its uh, um, on its great history, uh, and and he would know that history of uh, of when managers leave too soon. That um, he he could quite easily go from their favourite son to persona non grata uh, if he did leave. So I just couldn't imagine him just 
upping sticks. Could you imagine? I mean, unless it was a top six club, um, under that, those circumstances, things might be different. What do you reckon, Edge? Yeah, I probably agree with what you say, but I think you know if a big offer comes in from a big club with a lot of money, he'd uh, he'd probably consider it. But I'm interested in what Willem thinks. He's been following Ange Postecoglou's journey at Celtic very, very closely. Uh, what do you think, Willem? Because I, I know you read everything, you watch everything. What do you think about uh, Ange Postecoglou when he's uh, Rob's uh, perception that his loyalty to Celtic would save them from losing him? Oh, I'm not sure necessarily that it's his loyalty. I think that it is just too early in the uh, in the project. I mean, he's only just one game into uh, being at the pinnacle of European club football, which is the Champions League. But given another two years, uh, he will he will move on. And not not to say that he's a disloyal manager or a disloyal person by any means, but he has moved up in his career. Michael, he went from he left Brisbane Raw to go to Melbourne Victory. He left Melbourne Victory to move up to the Socceroos. Japan was seen as a, as a step up from there. And then he's left Japan after a three-year cycle, highly successful one, to move on to Celtic. So uh, there's, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing disloyal about being a, a ladder climber. Uh, but I think within a couple of years, if he can win another couple of league titles and have a, a good shake at the Champions League, uh, I think absolutely he would take a job outside of the top six in England. I think the next rung up the ladder would be to take a club like a club like Brighton, maybe bottom 10. Uh, and from there, you're, you're firmly in the shop window for uh, for the big clubs, uh, the biggest clubs of all, Rob. So, Derek, Angie's in the market. Um, who, who are the other candidates that um, that are being talked about to, to replace Potter? Yeah, well, there's Brendan Rodgers, who's made, been made the favourite, which is interesting on... On, on a on a number of levels we'll maybe come back to Brendan in a sec but I, I know uh, Willem in the podcast earlier in the week spoke about Union Berlin and their manager uh, Felice Mazu is in at uh, five to one and again that makes kind of sense too from the from the Brighton point of view there's Nudson from Bodo Glimt at six to one uh, so he, they've been doing great stuff. Of course, famously beat Roma and uh, Jose Mourinho, my favourite last season. Thomas Frank is in there. That would be a really interesting one. He certainly fits the profile because Brighton and Brentford are very similar clubs. But um, I wonder whether you know whether that is an upgrade for Thomas Frank uh, at the moment. And then Nathan Jones is also there. I had to do a double check. It's not uh, the D's midfielder. It is Nathan Jones <laughs> from from Luton. Uh, Luton Town, who of course has been making that club um, punch above his weight, and I think I think there's a theme here, gents. The theme here is people that can get clubs to punch above their weight. They're not looking for a manager that's going to come in Conte style and start throwing the teacups around if he doesn't get what he wants. He wants they want the um, the manager that's going to come in and take a very thoughtful approach to managing the club and really get them to overachieve. So I think that's a really strong list. And for the first time, it isn't full of Sam Allardyce's and Tony Pulis's and, you know, God love him, uh, Sean Dyche as well. It's actually good to see some different names on that list. What about, uh, Derek, this has got to be a risk for Potter. I've got a, a theory that some managers are suited to clubs if they're middle-of-the-road clubs. You know, some managers are very good at scrapping a defensive formation, you know, doing the research to pick up the scraps of the bigger clubs in terms of players that that get, uh, you know, looked over. But, you know, a, a manager like Potter sees something. But he goes to Chelsea and the expectations are he's got to win every game. You know, um, it's, it's a very different construct. How much of a risk is this for Potter? And could we see, you know, dressing room, you know, there's bigger personalities in the dressing rooms. I mean, could this be a problem for him? Could he not do well and could he go out the back door? It's definitely a risk in the sense of, he, as you said, he was on to 
a really, really good thing at Brighton. And there, there seems to be a very symbiotic relationship between him, the players, the the upper management and, and the fan base. Um, yeah, when he goes to Chelsea, he's not going to get any of that certainty. And, you know, Brighton are the kind of flavour of the month at the moment and of performing really well, but it hasn't always been so in Potter's time. They have flirted with relegation. They had some dreadful run of fixtures where they were struggling to score goals and and uh, the fans were actually getting really, really cranky with, with the team. And he actually called out the fans and sort of asked them to get real and, you know, appreciate this kind of project that that they're working on. But as we've seen with Chelsea, they will sack anybody. They will, they, they sacked Frank Lampard, who's one of the most legendary players in the club's history. They sacked Jose Mourinho twice, despite being the most decorated manager in the club's history. They sacked uh, Carlo Ancelotti after he uh, delivered the double. They sacked uh, Roberto Di Matteo after he delivered the Champions League. And now they have sacked Thomas Tuchel, who delivered them the Champions League took them through one of the hardest periods in their whole history as a club last season where they couldn't do anything. They couldn't even sell tickets or open the club's shop and they finished in the top four and he's gone. So Potter um, will have to hope, and we have spoken about it on this podcast, that uh, this regime uh, with their other sporting franchises has been patient with managers but as you said Edge the pressure is on from the very first game. Okay let's uh, move on to the game of the week. Um, I've got one that might have come out of left field but uh, it's not your usual selection uh, Derek you've gone for um, a Europa League match. I have gone for Real Sociedad's win at Old Trafford last week in the Europa League. It, w- it went under the radar, this, but I, I felt like it was a bit of a shock loss. Uh, Real Sociedad, a bit like Brighton, actually, and they play in the same colours um, and stripes. They, they're they a 10th in La Liga. They are not a giant of Italian, uh, sorry, Spanish football. Um, and it was a controversial game, too. I mean, they should never have had a penalty. It was an absolutely bizarre decision uh, to give that penalty for handball against Martinez. And it's just, again, another reason why VAR is not working because it was reviewed and they still came up with the same decision. And Ronaldo probably, in, in a rare start for him up front, um, probably should have had a had a penalty himself for uh, being bundled over in the box and he wasn't happy about it. The only thing that the... Uh, Old Trafford faithful might be happy about is that Casemiro made a debut, got a couple of shots off. It wasn't a loss, but uh, yeah, that was uh, my game of the week for different reasons, Rob. Well, I've got a nomination and it came after my uh, my nephew um, sent me some video of the uh, Start Velodrome. He is a passionate Marseille man and uh, I'd sent him some vision for my niece, his wife um, of the MCG, um, of Collingwood winning in the AFL. So he returned serve with some vision of the uh, Marseille-Lille match, uh, which uh, I looked into um, a little deeper. And and that was Marseille's uh, fifth uh, win on the spin. They sit uh, equal top of League One with uh, PSG, who have a far better goal advantage. But there was a certain player who who scored and uh, a a player that both you and Edge would uh, have great memories of uh, for 122 games at Manchester United, still uh, knocking them in the Chilean international. Alexis Sanchez um, is uh, is strutting his stuff at Marseille and doing beautifully. So, so that uh, that match against Lille, five on the trot, and I do, I mean, all all of us, uh, unless you're a PSG fan, of course, um, like to see uh, another club at least competing at the top top level in in League One. 
Hugely popular, the boys from Marseille. They are the barometer of um, the south of France when they get going. And there's some ripping derbies uh, that Marseille play in. Obviously, the obvious one is uh, when they play PSG. But I'll tell you what, Marseille versus Nice is right up there for some of the uh, nasty stuff that happens in world football. Edge, do you have any nominations for a game of the week? Um, oh, for me, it was easy. Oakley Cannons 5. <laughs> Yes. South Melbourne nil. If you know a little bit about Victorian football and the daddy is South Melbourne, you know the uh, the silver tails of the Greek community in Melbourne. All the all the um, you know they all gather down there. All the money Greek uh, businessmen and little old Oakley gave them a spanking of epic proportions out at the village. Uh, about five thousand people are out there. Most of them South Melbourne supporters. They got wet. They were cold, and they went home with no goals. Well, if you want to listen to more about uh, Oakley's uh, uh, well, semi-final they've got coming up, uh, tune into the main podcast uh, with Oakley President Stan Papagenaris. Uh, Willem, did you have a nomination? Um, you've always got... Uh, uh, yes. Into the mixer. No, again, as discussed in the main show, earlier on uh, on Sunday it was Sydney United 58, Sydney Croatia 3, Brisbane Raw 2 <laughs> in extra time. Okay, well done. Okay, uh, team of the week. Uh, we got nominations. They might might also be the same answers, just about. Could be, could be, and I realise that even though this is a, a standalone format now, we do need to wrap this thing up. I, I hunted around and thought about this for some time, gents, and I've end up going for Atletico Madrid, and there's a few reasons for this. Firstly, uh, they obviously uh, won in dramatic fashion uh, in the Champions League with a, uh, a very late win over Porto, with a, and we'll get back to talking about that in Griezmann, who scored that in one second. And then they've hammered Celta Vigo in La Liga uh, 4-1, and it takes them up to fourth uh, in in La Liga. Um, So going well, Atletico. And one thing that should be noted is that their next game will be the Madrid derby. This one is always a classic. Madrid are five out of five. Obviously fresh off their win at Celtic Park, 4-1 win over Mallorca. But uh, at the Wanderer Metro- Metropol- <laughs> Metropolitano, there will be the Madrid derby. But um, the main reason for selecting Atletico is that they seem to be the kings of what we call shithousery on and off the pitch. So you, some eagle-eyed uh, listeners and even the guys on the show here will have noticed that Griezmann, despite being their best player, is getting very limited game time at the moment. And the reason is, is that... Um, Atletico will have to pay Barcelona thirty-five million pounds if Griezmann plays forty-five minutes or more in eighty percent of their matches, of which is available over a two-year period. And he was a bit over quota from last season, so he's been brought on in the with twenty-eight minutes, twenty-eight minutes, twenty-six minutes, and twenty-seven minutes to go in La Liga, despite being a key part of the team last season and scoring the one hundred and first minute winner uh, in the Champions League being brought on with 30 minutes to go. Barcelona, who are skint, are absolutely furious and say that, you know, that they should be owed the money anyway. But tell you what, fair dinkum, this is a way of playing a contract to the absolute T-edge. What do you think of that from uh, Atletico? <laughs> you've de- you've described that beautifully, Derek, uh, in the soothing tones of your voice. You've absolutely painted the picture beautifully. I can't do any better than that. Well, didn't you notice he slipped a little fair dinkum in there? I don't know that I've ever heard that from the great Aussie that is uh, Derek Dyson. So uh, he's taking his, his new credentials very seriously. In contrast to his erstwhile Englishness. 
Correct. <laughs> if there is one thing Spanish football needs, Derek, it is a healthy Atletico Madrid, and they are king shit houses. I mean, they've had Diego Costa and Luis Suarez leading the line for uh, for however long. Oh, Simeone. Oh, they're just they're a classic, and we haven't encountered them at Arsenal very much. But um, I tell you what, yeah, yeah, you, you got to give them some credit for sure. Um, I'm just going to the World Cup, Rob. Spain a chance, Spain are a chance at every World Cup, aren't they? I mean, they've just got to turn up and, uh, and they're competitive. Uh, well, I'd need to do a little bit more research into the group and, and some homework before I was prepared to make a comment other than to say it's Spain, they're always a chance. Uh, ever since they, they broke the drought in uh, South Africa all those years ago, they've uh, been perennial uh, uh, contenders. So I, I'd say off the, the strength of no research whatsoever, the, the answer is yes. Uh, I have a, 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 a nomination, though, for, for Team of the Week, and that is uh, in honour of my my father-in-law, Luigi, uh, who has gone to God now, and that is uh, Juventus, who beat uh, Salernitano at the Juventus Stadium, uh, courtesy of a Leonardo Bonucci 93rd minute equaliser. Uh, they had a goal ruled out by the video assistant referee and two players sent off. Um, they're, they're battling to, to contend this season, but this might be the turning point for the uh, the, the old lady if um, Juventus can, uh, can, can keep that kind of form uh, going. So, uh, yeah, that's, there was an on-pitch brawl. It was all happening um, in that game. Um, just what you'd expect of, uh, well, I mean, I'm, if everyone else is allowed to use the word shithousery, I'll throw it in as well um, for... Uh, the uh, the Italian great club that is Juventus. All right, boys. Uh, anyone got any uh, late nominations, or are we gonna we're gonna wrap this first edition of uh, of stoppage time as its own entity up? Yeah, I think so. I think it worked well, Rob. Hopefully, we can uh, we can continue this on over the next few weeks. Well, I reckon we can, and uh, it's a good old chat and a bit more casual as it goes. Well done, boys. Uh, Derek, Derek, unbelievable. Absolutely. Bobby uh, Davis from the Geelong Football Club, for any of those of you who are not familiar with the, that uh, that famous saying, look it up on YouTube. You'll find it. Damien Tardio, thank you. I think Damien's going to come onto the show next week, especially since I stole his gig as the uh, City Art reporter with my nomination for Juventus. Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at box to box nts because we do want to start to incorporate your feedback and uh, your nominations, perhaps, for box to box offside. Um, follow us on Twitter and we'll start sharing your feedback on the show real soon. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.